guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold. My name is Suho. There aren't any content warnings for this case, so let's just go straight into it. Trumpa Muhapi Koloi was born in 1993 and she stayed in Timberloe too in George with her mother and her three siblings. Unfortunately, when Trumpa was just 18 years old, her sister passed away after a really short illness and this devastated the entire family. Her mother Patricia was completely heartbroken and after this, Trumpa just promised herself that she was going to work really hard so that she'd be able to provide for her family and her mother. After finishing school, she got into a relationship and she ended up having two beautiful daughters. The relationship with her children's father didn't last, but she did get into a new relationship. And at the time of today's case, she was in a relationship with this man. Um, for the purpose of this video, we'll just refer to him as Jabu. And her and Jabu were just in a very happy, loving relationship. And she was just living her life, enjoying it, and just hoping for the best. Trumpa and her mother Patricia were religious and they would go to church every Sunday. And it was in like 2017 to 2018 when they started going to a new church called God's Work Ministries. And they really enjoyed the church. It was very different, it was very vibrant, very live, lively, and they just really enjoyed it. And this church was run by self-ordained minister Melissa I'm so sorry, you know, I can't take my time, but I'm really trying. At the time of today's case, Melisuze was 30 years old and he was married to 23-year-old Siposite Pamba. Some sources say that they were just engaged, other sources say that they were married, but I'm more inclined to believe that they were married, whether it was just traditionally or they did actually like sign papers, but yeah. Sipo Sikhe was born and raised in Timbaluetu and this would come in handy because at the time Meli Sizwe really wanted to expand God's work ministries and the fact that Sipo Sikhe was from Timbaluetu made it easier for them to be able to like get into the community and get people to start going to the church because Sipo Sikhe would just go talk to people in the community you know just tell them about this new church that was in the area and people would just go and just like go try it out, see what it was about and people actually just really liked this church. Millie Cizwe was born and raised in King Williamstown which is about six hours away from Timberloetu and that's where his church started. The Goloi family were introduced to God's work ministries by Sipo Sikhe like a lot of other people in the community and Sipo Sikhe knew the family quite well. I wouldn't necessarily say that they were like family friends but they knew each other and Sipo Sikhe knew Trumpo very very well too which is probably why Trumpo and her mother would go to God's work ministries and why they also just gave it a chance you know because they knew this person they kind of trusted this person they wouldn't think that this person would lead them astray or they wouldn't believe that going to a certain church would lead to everything that happened Patricia became very involved in the church and a lot of people would also refer to her as like the unofficial head of God's work ministries in Timberloetu and she just really cared for the church as well as people in the church and Meli Sizwe did as well. He really cared about his congregation so much so that he would ask his wife Siposite to just learn about the people in their church. Just 
learn about them, their lives, what they did. You know, not just like basic details about them, but like in-depth details about all of the people in his church. And this was because he said that he cared about them so much that he just always wants to improve their lives. So let's say, for example, he saw a job vacancy for a receptionist and he knew that Lutando was unemployed and she was looking for a job and she had the right diplomas, qualifications, certificates for this job, then he would be able to tell her about this job and just get her this job so that you know, her life would be better and people would look at him and be like, you know what, Meli Caesar really just loves his congregation. He cares for them so much, you know. He wants us to improve our lives, to be better people. And people just really looked up to him for this. And they just really respected him so much that he would go out of his way to find these job vacancies for all these different people in the church. And this is what happened to Klompo. On the 2nd of July 2018, Klompo received a phone call from Melisizwe. And Melisizwe told her that he had heard about a job opportunity at George Airport and he thought that she was the perfect candidate. He told her that he was going to find out more information about the job for her and let her know at a later stage and that he would organize transport for her to get to the job interview and back home so you know she wouldn't have to worry about anything and Lombo was really excited about this job opportunity because she had been unemployed for some time and she was really looking for a job so that she'd be able to look after not only her children but you know her mother and just make their lives better. Around the same time that Klompo got this news about this job opportunity, her mother Patricia had to go to Lesotho because they had a funeral for one of their family members. But her mother told her to just keep her updated about the job and what happens at the interview and everything like that. Afterwards, Millie Caesar got in contact with Klompo, I think like the day afterwards, and told her that everything was set, they just had to go to the interview, they didn't want anything except for one thing, which was a HIV test. And I know what you're thinking, it's illegal. Guys, if someone asks you for an HIV test for your job, they're not allowed to do that, they're not to they're not allowed to discriminate against you for your HIV status. And we don't know whether or not Trumpo knew this, whether she knew that this, like, this was illegal or just anything like that, or whether she was just like, you know what, I really don't care, I just really want this job. We don't really know, like, her thought process around this whole thing. But she was very confident in her negative status, and she was like, whatever, let me just do it. And that's what she did. So on the 4th of July, she went to Timberloy to Square with her boyfriend, Jabu. And once they got there, they saw a silver Suzuki, which belonged to Meli Sizwe. And once they got there, they saw a nurse, and she was ready to take Trumpo's blood. And Jabu watched as Klompo stood there, got her blood taken, and then they just went home and went on with their day so that Klompo could get ready for her job interview, which was the very next day. The pickup spot that Melisizwe had told Klompo about was just off the M2 highway, and both Jabu and her brother just walked her there just to make sure that she got into the car safe, you know, and she was really dressed up, she was excited about this new opportunity, and they got to this pickup location that Melisizwe had organized, and a silver Suzuki pulled up, 
and in the car there were two men there was Melisizwe who was in the front seat and there was another man in the back seat so Jabu and Klompo's brother watched her get into the car and drive off she sat in the front seat and they just you know kind of waved that they saw her drive off to George Airport for this job interview at around quarter past two that same day, one of Klompo's friends received a strange message from her. In the message, Klompo told her that the job interview went really well, but things took a turn for the worst when she accepted a ride from these two men that she met at George Airport. One of the men said that he was on his way to Herald's Bay to see his girlfriend and that he would be able to drop her off at home in Timbaloetu and the distance between the two is about 16, 16 minutes away. So she accepted this ride, she got into the car with these two men and she then said that the two men refused to take her home unless she had sex with them. She then told the friend the location that she was in or the like general location and she told her friend that she was in a white polo and sent her the registration number or the car registration number number plate yeah or the number plate and after this the friend immediately called police and let the police officer know what Klompo had sent her like this very strange message and as the officer was like okay don't worry I'm gonna get some officers to go to like the location where she says she is and just see what's going on and as he was dropping the phone and looking out the window to see what cars are available he received another phone call and this was from Jabu, Trumpo's boyfriend and he had received the very same message that Trumpo's friend had received five minutes earlier and he told the officer that after he saw the strange message he tried calling her but her phone was off and then afterwards he just called them straight away. So after this the officer had these two very strange phone calls of these two people who received the same message from the same person so he was trying to get a police car so he could go to the same location that Klompo said that she was at with these two men who were trying to sexually assault her so he was trying to look for a car he couldn't find one so he just I think he was trying to find out where all the other vans were so that he would be able to get one of the vans and go to this location and this is when he discovered that one of the vans was at the same exact location that Trumpo said she was at. And it turned out that at 2 p.m., so 15 minutes before Trumpo's friend received the strange message and like 20 minutes before the boyfriend received the strange message, Two fishermen were at Harold's Bay. It's called Full Clip. It's apparently like it's like a beautiful sightseeing area where you can see like a beautiful view of like the ocean, something like that. So these two fishermen were walking up the gravel road and this is when they saw the body of a young woman and they immediately went down the road and they saw a passing police van so they flagged the van down and this is when the officer went to the gravel road and he saw the body of this young woman and she was clearly deceased. So now that the officer had found this body at the same exact location that these two people had received the strange message from like of 
from Trumpo, they kind of just put like two and two together and they kind of had an idea of who they thought this person was. So the officer then went to Trumpo's boyfriend and asked him for a picture of Trumpo, but he didn't tell him why he wanted this picture of her. He then went to the mortuary and on the table was this young woman and he kind of compared the picture that he had of Trumpo and of this woman's body and it was clear that the body they had found belonged to Trumpo Mohapi Kuloi and she had been murdered. She was found with several stab wounds across her body and her throat had been slit. The officer then had to call in Trumpo's boyfriend and friend to let them know that they had found Trumpo and unfortunately she had been murdered and then they had to tell her mother who was still in Lesotho at the funeral and she soon came back to South Africa so that they would be able to lay Trumpo to rest. In the early hours and days of the investigation, the police believed that Trumpo had been robbed, stabbed and left for dead on the side of the road but it would turn out that it was way worse than that. The first thing the police officer wanted to do was trace Trumpo's last movements so they called in Jabu, her boyfriend and her brother to ask them about the last time they saw Trumpo and they told the officer that the last time they saw her she was getting into a silver Suzuki that had no number plates and the pastor Melisizwe was driving the car and there was a man in the back seats. With the information that the police had gathered so far, they had three things that they had to answer or just delve in deeper. The first thing was the interview that Trumpo had at George Airport. They wanted to find out when the interview was, when she left, did she ever arrive at this job interview. The second thing they wanted to find out was the car that she said she was in. So remember in the, sent, in the messages that she sent to her friend and her boyfriend, she told them that she was in a white polo and she also sent them the registration number or number plates. And then the third thing they wanted to find out was whether she was the one who had sent the messages to her friend and her boyfriend. So the first thing was George Airport and this job interview and they got in contact with the airport and they discovered that this interview did not exist. So where did Trumpo go if she wasn't going to George Airport? The second thing, which was the car and the number plate. So they ran this number plate on their system and they discovered that the number plate was just a random number plate and it had nothing to do with this car and just basically this white polo and this number plate did not exist. So that was a very terrifying thought. And the third thing was the message that she had sent to her boyfriend and her friend. So obviously Klompo had been found at 2 p.m. and her friend received a message from her at quarter past two and her boyfriend received the message from her at 20 past two. And it's, very, it's impossible for her to have sent a message at those times when she was already deceased. So police first thought that maybe she had sent them the message herself but when she sent the message to them, there was no network. So the message was just kind of like there waiting for it to get some network so that it would be able to send. Or they thought that maybe the phone had connected with Wi-Fi later on and that's how the messages had went through. Because when they found Trumpo's body, there was no identification on her. There was no phone on her. So they were like, maybe these people took the phone, but they didn't know that she had already sent these messages. They got some network and then the messages went through. 
Am I making sense? I'm sure I'm making sense. So with all of this information, police then decided to try and track down Trumpo's phone. So a couple of days after Trumpo's murder, they got a hit. So they had run a trace on her phone and they discovered that literally hours after Trumpo had been murdered, someone had inserted a different SIM card into her phone. And as they found this, they literally tried to trace that phone in that exact moment and this is when they found that the phone was pinging at a nearby petrol station just off the N2 outside of Nysna. So the detective immediately got into his car and he drove to this petrol station. I'm assuming it was like relatively close because he got there when the phone was still there at the petrol station. So he got to the petrol station and the phone analysts were there like you know, on their computers, doing computer things, looking at this one cell phone and also looking at the detective cell phone. And once he got to the petrol station, you know, he was just kind of looking around and then he saw a taxi that had just like poured some petrol driving off. And I don't know what you call it, like call it, I don't know, him being a seasoned detective, intuition, whatever. He just decided, you know what, I'm going to follow that taxi. So the detective followed the taxi and as he was driving behind this taxi, the phone analysts were like, you got it, you're literally following the phone, like your phone is following this phone. So now that the officer had confirmation that he was following the right car and Trumpo's phone was somewhere in this car, he decided to flag down the taxi driver. The taxi driver pulled over and he ordered everyone to get out of the car, stand in a line and asked everyone to hold out their phones. So because they had the number, the new number that was in Trumpo's phone, he had his phone and he was con like calling this number and he was just walking up and down this line, looking at everyone's phone, trying to see whose phone was ringing. And literally no one's phone was ringing, which was a bit odd because he knew that he had the right car and he knew that Trumpo's phone was in that car, like someone in this taxi had her phone. So as he walked past this one guy and he was still phoning this phone number he like heard something like in the back but he looked at this man and this man's phone wasn't ringing and then he looked at his pocket and you know you can see like the outline of a phone so he was like what's in your pocket take it out this man took out what was in his pocket and it was a second cell phone and as he looked at the number that was calling it was his number and he knew that he had the right person and he didn't know whether this person was connected to Trumpo's murder or not but it was like one step closer to solving her murder because this man maybe like if he had nothing to do with the murder then he got the phone from someone else and this person probably has something to do with it so you know they were one step closer to solving this case the man who had Trumpo's cell phone identified himself as Pumlani Fasheka I'm so sorry for my pronunciation and he told the detective that he was on his way to the Eastern Cape to go visit his family and that he was on his way to King Williamstown. He was then taken to the police station and once he got to the police station he asked the detective if he would be able to call his cousin and the detective asked who his cousin was and he said that his cousin's name was Melisizwe Mono and immediately the detective's ears kind of perked up because Melisizwe was literally on his list of suspects because he knew that when Klompo had this job interview Melisizwe had been the one to tell her about this job interview and that when she got into the car he was also in the car so you know things started adding up and then they also went through Pumlani's bag that he had on him and they discovered a bloody t-shirt and immediately they arrested him.
So at this point, Pumlani had already called Melisizwe to come to the police station. And once Melisizwe arrived at the police station, he went there and he told them that he was there to go see his cousin Pumlani. But he gave them a fake name. And police officers already knew that this, they knew who he was. They knew who his real name was because Pumlani only had one person coming in to see him. So they immediately told him, like, we know you're lying. We know that's not your name. Like, why are you lying? And Melisizwe kind of just like laughed it off with some sly smile, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, kind of like like it's his alter ego like a name he uses when he's preaching to his congregation and he kind of just said like that was the reason so they brought him in they asked him a couple of questions they i think he also came with his wife because both of them were interviewed and they both said that they had nothing to do with Klompo's murder they didn't know that she had been murdered and melissa was very adamant that he was not the one in the car when she was picked up to go to this fake job interview at george airport with nothing to hold Melisizwe and Siposito on, the detective had no other choice but to let them go, but he did tell them that he'd be in contact with them in the future. Then on the 11th of July, an insurance assessor at Out Insurance received a call confirming a claim on a life insurance policy for a Trompo Muhabi Koloi, and the life insurance policy was valued at 3 million rand so the person on the phone claimed that he was Klompo's partner and that she had been murdered six days earlier so he wanted to take out this life insurance policy so the assessor told him that you know like he'd look into it and then release the funds and the guy said okay you know drop the phone and as part of their work you know when someone wants to claim life insurance policy they have to look i don't know like if they like do some research what they do look into things but then he started looking into Trump happy and then he discovered that there were two other life insurance policies taken out on her life they weren't as they weren't a comprehensive life insurance policy like the three million rand one but it was for an accidental death and he found that very strange that this 25 year old woman she was very young like she was 25 years old she had taken out three life insurance policies on the same day two days before she was murdered two days before she was murdered and it was just very suspicious so he immediately called police and once detective once detectives heard about this life insurance policy and that her partner had called they immediately called Klompo's boyfriend Jabu into the police station to ask him about it and he was so confused he said that he did not know that Klompo had life insurance had taken out life insurance and he just had like one question and that was like how was she going to pay for it because she was unemployed like she did not have money to pay for life insurance so how was she able to do that and then the detective really thought about this and he was like you know what you're onto something how could she have taken out life insurance if she was unemployed so the detective went back to art insurance to ask for recordings of the phone calls made by Trumpo's partner in inverted commas and you know sometimes when you call like certain in, I don't know, like insurance companies, medical aid companies, there's always that automated voice that says that this call is being recorded for I don't know whatever like they're like this thing is being recorded it's actually being recorded like you know your phone calls are actually being recorded so they had these recordings and they also listened to the phone call of Trumpo's partner um 
wanting to claim her life insurance and he immediately knew that it wasn't Jabu's voice he was like nope he then got the recordings of when this person wanted like when this person wanted to get this life insurance policy and he listened to the voice of this woman and it was very clear that it was not Trumpo speaking on the phone. They also had a um, Yahoo email account that said it belonged to Trumpo but when they looked at the IP address none of it, not like the IP address did not belong to any of Trumpo's devices and then they looked at the cell phone number and the cell phone number was not Trumpo's number. They also looked at the account that had paid for the life insurance policy and it was not Trumpo's account and the beneficiary that was on all her three life insurance policies belonged to or the man listed rather was a Mr. Zonke and they were like who is this man? So like with all this information that they gathered, the recordings, the voices, the phone number, the email address, the IP address, they put, I don't know, all of this put together linked them to two people. And these two people were Melisizwe and his wife, Siposikli. Then, less than two weeks after Tlompo had been murdered, Melisizwe and Siposikle were arrested. Siposikle's mother's house in Tembeloetu was searched and this is when they found four other phones along with three different SIM cards. Mind you, when they were arrested, both of them each had their own phones with like their own SIM cards. So in total they had like six phones with like five different SIM cards, which was a bit strange. They also found the silver Suzuki that had no number plates, but then they found the number plates in their home in King Williamstown, which is like six hours away. When they searched the silver Suzuki, they also found in the passenger seat a red blood spot. So obviously they took this blood to go run it against DNA to confirm if it did belong to Trombo and just a lot of things were pointing to these two people. Jabu and Trombo's brother also confirmed that the person they did see in the driver's seat that day that Trombo went to her fake job interview was indeed Melisizwe and Trombo's brother was able to identify the person in the back seat as a man that he had seen at God's Work Ministries and that man was Pumlani. It turned out that the silver Suzuki that they found was a rental and bank statements confirmed that Melisizo had been the one to have rented this silver Suzuki and he had been making these payments. It wasn't for like your, I think like your more well-known rental companies, like you know like Avis, Eurocar, like those things. It was more like... I don't know, I don't want to say lower class, but like just like lesser known because he paid like in installments, like an EFT payment. And that's not usually how you pay for like rentals. It's usually like a deposit upfront, you know? So yeah, Melissa's just, and they just, just weren't very smart in their plans. And remember the bloodstained shirt that they found in Pumlani's position when they got him in that taxi. Um, around the same time DNA evidence came back and it was a match for Trompo and this is when Pumlani was officially charged with murder. 
According to Pumlane, the day before Trompo's murder, he, Melisizwe, and Siposite left King Williamstown and they drove all the way to Temuloetu in the middle of the night. They got there in the morning and Melisizwe dropped him off at Siposite's mother's house and told him that he had work for him to do. And what Pumlani had to do that day apparently was just like flatten some gravel and he said that's what he did the whole day so he wasn't with Sipo Sito or Melisito the entire day and then he said that later that afternoon the two came back and once they came back he noticed that there was like a red spot in the passenger seat of the car but he didn't say anything and then Sipo Sito gave him a phone and just told him that he could keep it and like it was his now and phone records kind of corroborate his story because Pumlane's phone was inactive that whole day and it was in one area in Temeluetu as opposed to Melisizo's cell phone as well as Sibusito's cell phone which were both of them were together on the N2 where Tlompo was picked up, Harold's Bay, the general area where her body was found. So, you know, it's kind of like what he's saying is the truth and those two were like gallivanting together. But his phone was inactive, which means like he just wasn't using it the entire time. So you could argue that he was just smarter than the other two and he just like left his phone in Temelo to Estibusito's mother's house as opposed to as opposed to going with it because he was identified as being one of the men that was seen in the car with Trompo. So at this point all three had been arrested and charged with Trompo's murder and they were awaiting trial and at this point news had broke about their arrest and everything and it's also around the same time it was like the end of July. This case happened really fast like police got these three people arrested like in less than a month after Trumpo's murder. So they were in prison and all of a sudden Melissa just started posting on all of his social media pages and people were confused because they knew that this man was in jail. So how was he able to have a phone and post on social media? So they went to his cell and you know they searched it and this is when they found a cell phone and a SIM card. And after this the phone was taken and he was charged with illegally being in possession of a device whilst being incarcerated. It was also during police's investigation that they found out about a Nomfundiso boy. So let me quickly tell you about her story. So Nomfundiso met Melissa in 2017 when she started going to God's Work Ministries in King Williamstown. And at this point, Melisizwe and Sipositle were in a relationship. I think they were already married, but this did not stop Melisizwe from finding other women and just being in new relationships. So he and Nomfundiso started, I don't want to say dating, but you know, they had an affair, they were seeing each other, and soon Nomfundiso told him that, you know what, it's either you choose me and you leave your wife or this relationship is not going to work. I'm not too sure what Melissa said but the two of them still kept seeing each other and soon Sipositle found out about this affair. And she immediately started calling Nomfundiso, you know, like kind of stalking her. And this is when Nomfundiso decided to call it quits. She ended the relationship with Melissa, you know, like she chose herself, she chose peace. But her ending the relationship with him did not stop Melissa and his wife from continuously phoning her and it was like harassment at this point. She literally went to the police station and she opened up a case of, um, I think she opened a 
restraining order against the both of them and she got this restraining order but this didn't stop the pair they just kept trying to call her and all those things then on the 22nd of july 2017 nomfundiso was at home when a man broke in and he was wearing a balaclava like you know like a I want to say like a beanie with her eyes. You know, it just covers your face. So she couldn't see this man's face. But you know when you spend time with someone or you, you know, you spend a lot of time with someone, you know who this person is. Even if they're wearing something that's covering their face, you know who this person is. So she immediately knew that it was Meli Sizwe and he was holding a knife and he tried killing her. He literally just tried killing her, but fortunately he did not succeed and Fundiso was left with some bruises and some cuts and we're not sure what she did after this but life just continued and almost a year later someone would try and take her life again it was actually two men and they broke into her house and they shot at her they shot at her mother and her younger brother but fortunately all three of them survived oh i forgot to mention that before this melissa had hired a man to try and kill Nomfundiso, and he offered to pay him ten thousand rand but this man he said he'd go through with it but eventually he just didn't and it was very clear to this man that melissa had just went on and tried to find two other men to try and do this job so after the detective heard the story about Numfundiso boy and like Melissa trying to kill her multiple times, he was like, you know what, let me run her name um, in different like life insurance or different insurance companies, try and see if there are any life insurance policies in her name. And there were several policies that came up in her name. And when the detective asked her if she had been the one to take out these life insurance policies, she said that she wasn't. The first life insurance policy that was taken out in her name was a couple of days before Melissa tried, or allegedly, allegedly, tried to take her life for the first time. And after he didn't succeed the second time, the policies kind of just lapsed. So it seemed as though maybe he was... Maybe just saw her as kind of like high risk. So he didn't want to try and take that chance and try and end her life. So after discovering that it wasn't, Klompa wasn't the first victim of Melisizwe and Sifusitlitz, he decided to do some more research, some more investigating in all these different insurance companies. And he came across several different policies and it turned out that Melissa Zoya and Sibusitla had taken out other life insurance policies on two other women from their church. So it just seemed like Melissa Zoya was trying to get all these life insurance policies on different people in his congregation and he was just trying to take them out one by one so that he and his wife could be these rich people. They were just like insurance, not really like insurance killers, you know? The pasta insurance killer, basically. Many Caesar though claims that Nomfundiso tried to end her own life and that she had been the one to plan everything and that he was scared of her, not the other way around. And that, you know, he just went through with whatever she wanted. But it doesn't make sense. Like, why would this woman try and kill herself? Like, why would she want you to try and kill her? So it just wasn't making sense, you know, and they just... They just didn't believe him. Rightfully so, because what do you mean? 
all the beneficiaries that were listed on the different life insurance policies that Meli Sizwe and Sipo Sitle had taken out were either under the name Mr. Zonke, which was the same name on Trompo's life insurance policies, or Sipo Sitle's mother. And it turned out that this Mr. Zonke was related to Meli Sizwe somehow, but both Sipo Sitle's mother and Mr. Zonke did not know that their names were listed as beneficiaries in all these different life insurance policies. All the life insurance policies that Melissa Zue and Sibesitla had taken out on all these different people amounted to 27 million rand. Sibesitla claimed that she was not there when Trumpo was killed and that she had been at home the whole day caring for her sick child and that she had just left her phone in the car. She did, however, admit to being the one to have called all the different insurance policies and opened or like gotten all these life insurance policies on all these different women, but she did not know that it would end in murder and that she was really surprised when she found out about Trumpo's murder and that Trumpo had been killed. She said that she acted under duress and that Medici's where her husband was extremely abusive, abusive, like both physically and emotionally. And he threatened to take her life, her mother's life and her child's life if she did not comply with everything that he said. So that's why she did it. During the pre-trial, Pumlane was on his way to court. And on your way to court, like, you go through, like, these metal detectors. So he went under one, and it kept beeping. So they took him out, they patted him down, but they couldn't find anything. But, like, every time he went through this metal detector, it kept ringing and ringing and ringing. But they couldn't find anything. And eventually, I don't know how, but we all know how, they discovered that he had hidden a foldable 17 centimeter knife in his rectum. And then he was taken to hospital so that it could be extracted. And we can only wonder what he was going to do with that knife. Maybe he was trying to get out. But yeah, a knife in his rectum. Imagine how sore that is. Finally, in October 2020, Three years after Trompo's murder, the trial finally began. There were a lot of delays, but the main one was the big C word. We all know it happened in March 2020. Meli Sizwe pleaded guilty to all charges, and eventually all three of them were found guilty and sentenced. Meli Sizwe was sentenced to life plus 252 years and three months in prison. Siposite Pamba was sentenced to an effective 20 years while Pumlani was given a life sentence plus 63 years.